Hey there, it's Dr. Tiffany. I want to welcome you to this episode of the Integrative Mental Health Podcast with Dr. Tiffany. And we are on episode 3.2. We're talking about that um, kind of three-leg stool of mine that's also encompassing uh, Dr. Karazian's three-pillar approach uh, to healing, right? So within my three leg stool approach is neurological, physiological, and neurological. And I explained in my previous podcast, I had just attended one of his, uh, great conferences. And this one was a functional psychiatric conference on, um, depression, anxiety, OCD, uh, bipolar, all the things. And, um, in it, we addressed his three pillar approach, which is, uh, we talked about this in the last podcast, sleep, exercise, and blood sugar regulation, which is, you know, a lot of nutrition. So today we're going to talk about exercise. And um, again, if you know me, you know, I love exercise as part of the intervention for recovering your brain. There are so many reasons. And I want to touch on not just those reasons, but then what are we looking for? Um, what do we want to be aware of when it comes to using exercise as our strategy to heal the brain? Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about, uh, how to figure out how much you need and how intense it needs to be and all of those things. But I do want to just start with exercise is evidence-based as a way to address mental health issues. Okay. So when we're talking about depression, um, and trying to uh, raise serotonin and endorphins, we definitely want to think exercise. It is part of, um, the established intervention at this time to, uh, help with, raising the mood, um, a depressed body, a depressed brain is one that does not move a lot and moves slowly and thinking. And so what you're trying to do is literally with exercise, increase the energy in the cell. So brain cells included, but you're trying to raise the ATP, um, improve the speed of the mitochondria and the effectiveness of, of their efforts. So we're talking about in the cell, in the brain, you're trying to raise the energy levels. And the only way you can do that when, when things are depressed, um, is by getting moving, right? Move the body and energy begets more energy. And it's the absolute opposite thing that anyone wants to be doing when they're down and depressed. Um, But it's absolutely necessary. And it can start with small things. It could be get up, walk around. That's it, you know, and five minutes of walking around the house. It could be, you know, march in place. It could be toe taps, you know, um, walk, tap, walk, tap in place, uh, anything to get movement going, to get energy going to the brain. Right. So I want you to think about it that way when we're first getting going. Now, beyond that, once you're less depressed and you're able to move more, we want to think about what that looks like. Now, anxiety. One of the things that came out of the conference, Dr. Karazian was saying that there's some um, research that he shared with us around when people are in a, in the midst of a panic attack, 
or even an anxiety attack. So panic anxiety attack, the um, evidence-based recommendation in that moment is to ask them to start exercising. That could be jumping jacks, that could be, you know, run, that could be um, squats, that could be wall squat, any number of things, right? Keeping safety in mind because sometimes people, when they have a panic attack, um, they, they can pass out, okay? So we want to be mindful of that. But outside of that, what he is asking us to keep in mind is that the person from a physiological perspective is having a massive release of stress hormones. And the best way to discharge all of that is to let them burn it off burn off this dumping of stress hormones that is happening and stress chemicals that is happening in the body. So all of that adrenaline that is making it difficult to breathe and making the person sweat profusely or shaky, all those things, get them to burn it off. So from a, um, just taking away kind of a pearl here, uh, that was one of the things that was recommended in the conference quite successfully for, for some people who have applied this, um, is, is to have in the middle of these panic anxiety attacks, have the person start to burn off those hormones and those, um, that, that energy, that cortisol, that adrenaline. Okay. So now, BDNF is a big part of why we ask for exercise when it comes to in general brain health, but also mood disorders and BDNF is brain derived neurotropic factor. And it's, it's considered the miracle grow for the brain. All right. And it's one of the kind of compromised um, aspects of the brain in Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, and so when you have plenty of BDNF, which comes from exercise, there's only a couple of ways to raise BDNF. BDNF comes from exercise. You have a reduced neurodegeneration. So less likelihood of the brain degenerating. You have, um, nerves growing as a result of BDNF. You have um, improved neuron synapses. So the neurons, the, um, the brain cells work better. The synapses are better. Um, the connectivity and communication is more efficient. Um, and then you can branch the networks of neurons and neural pathways. You hear us talk about neural pathways a lot. Again, this is my private podcast. And I know that there's a lot of cross pollination with people in my practice and other practices. And a lot of us are talking about those neural pathways. Um, and what I'm telling you is exercise actually can help you through BDNF to increase the branching to those new neural pathways. So when I talk to you guys sometimes about cognitive behavioral therapy and I'm telling you I need you to generate that new idea even if it feels wrong because I'm trying to help you create that new neural pathway, what I'm telling you now is that exercising helps us with BDNF which helps us get to those neural pathways. It helps with the branching. Okay. Those neuron networks. So exercise is a huge part of recovering the brain and healing the brain. Um, when there's a diagnosis of a mood disorder on board and cannot be underestimated. Um, now 
there's also nitric oxide. That's another very kind of um, sciencey piece of this that I want to speak on when it comes to exercise. Um, and that's this idea of um, having enough blood flow. Okay. So when you exercise, what that does is your heart rate increases, there's circulation, then there's nitric oxide. And so then we've got more blood flow because of the nitric oxide. And then um, you've got cerebellum circulation, you've got vascular health, so circulation across the whole body. And then you get more nutrients and oxygen to the mitochondria in the cell, in the brain cell. Then because of that, now, Here's a big one because I have a lot of post-concussed. I have a lot of um, environmentally injured brains in my practice. You get tissue repair. Because of that process, you get tissue repair, right? So there are so many reasons you need to be exercising. Um, Oxidative stress that you get from the environment and the foods and the toxins and all of those types of things. When you exercise... Um, that helps us with cleansing and um, providing you with, yes, there is some oxidative stress, but the recovery part of the process, right? The cleansing part of the process. Now, here's where I need to go into the consequences of overtraining. If you are doing too much, and some of you know that I talked to you in session about being too aggressive during your workouts, um, pushing the body too hard, you can actually cause a cytokine surge, um, there's something called mitochondrial uncoupling. You can cause inflammation. Those things cause muscle wasting injuries and overtraining syndrome. So there is the such a thing as too much of a good thing, right? So m- more is not better here. We need to make sure that we are being um, careful with the exercise, acknowledging when the body's in pain. You don't avoid exercise because you're in pain um, because what ends up happening is the pain and the chronic inflammation that you're experiencing, it just, it feeds on itself and makes everything worse. What you have to do is be careful and you have to be mindful in your exercise um, and get the dosing right, okay? Because there's a lot to consider with exercise. There's the frequency of exercise, there's the intensity of it, how long, how complex, and then what adverse reactions could you have with different kinds of exercise, right? So I can't tell you in this particular session of the podcast, my podcast here, um, exactly what is right for you. Many times I will say, like, if there's an ADHD diagnosis, I need four days a week, half an hour. The recommendations for exercise these days have increased pretty dramatically when, where there's, um, a lot of encouraging people to do something, some sort of movement, movement every single day. So exercise every single day in some way, right? One thing I find I have to say a lot, and I've been saying it a whole lot recently, is you cannot do the same movement pattern every time you exercise. So that looks like, like for me, when I exercise, one day I might use my elliptical machine, and then the next day I do someone's streaming workout, and then I'll take a class somewhere, and then occasionally I'll go jogging. Um, I'm always power walking. I'm on my rebounder. I'm, I'm always doing different movement patterns and you don't have to do something extremely different every single day, but it cannot be that you run every day. 
that's actually going to cause more inflammation and more overtraining. So I don't want you running every day, but I don't want you doing the elliptical machine every day. You've got to mix up your movement patterns. Um, you do need strength training. It's not enough to just do the cardio. You do need the strength training and you need to mix up your movement patterns. The brain needs novelty and the muscles need to make sure that you're not overtraining them. Um, typically when someone's first starting to exercise, I'll say start with three days a week, um, you know, start where you can, but then get yourself to three days a week. And then you need to be more, you need to be working out more days than you're sitting. Um, but then don't give me running every day, give me something different and then make sure you're, you're tinkering with the intensity of the exercise. So, um, a quick and dirty way to assess where you need to be. You take, um, there's an equation for looking at intensity of exercise and it's 220 minus your age. And then where are you trying to be? Um, so sometimes you want to be 50% of that number. Sometimes you want to be 40%. Sometimes you want to be at 60 to 75% of that number, whatever 220 minus your age is. Okay. Um, and vary that throughout the week. Now I will say that the biggest recommendation is to do high intensity interval training and brain recovery and, um, mood support. So HIIT training. Now, HIIT training doesn't mean that you're sprinting. HIIT training means that you're on the elliptical machine and you're going fast and then you're going slow and then you're going fast and you're going slow and you're monitoring your heart rate. And I just gave you the equation for doing that. So then you can, you can tell me just where were you when it comes to um, heart rate response and intensity level. You can, you can actually give us, we, we can come up with a way to assess that. We can quantify it, right? Um, so HIT is important. Now, some of you know that I've told you that the HIT workouts need to be maybe 20 minutes of your, your workout. You don't need to do HIT the whole time. And then the rest of it could be steady state as a way to kind of clean out and wash out the um, cortisol that you may have raised as a result of doing HIT. So if you're outside and you're power walking and then you're jogging and you're power walking and jogging and you're monitoring your heart rate, um, now we have a high intensity interval training session. Okay. So that's what we're looking for, for intensity, monitoring it by using this equation I've given you, you want some sort of smartwatch to help you, um, keep track of your heart rate. And then you, you know that you need to be working out more days than you're not. So that's usually what I'll say is at least four, right? Cause then there's three days where you're not exercising duration of exercise I've touched on long, arduous workouts actually raise oxidative stress in the body. So that's not what I'm wanting. You know, um, I like a good 50 minute workout for people to work themselves up to that. Um, but that's some hit. And then that's some steady state. Steady state means you get, you get into a groove and you just stay there. So maybe you jog at the same pace the whole time. Um, you know, whether that's a 4.0 or an 8.0 pace, you're just staying there for 20 to 30 minutes. And that's not what I want. I want you to vary it. Motor complexity of exercise is important. And a lot of you, when you'll do those intakes with me, you'll get the document that tells you, I need you to use 
all of your limbs. Sometimes your your brain has a hard time connecting hemispheres across the corpus callosum, across the middle of the brain. And you'll, t- you'll hear me say, I need you to do kickboxing or I'll need you to do basketball or need your, your child to do that because I need complexity of uh, motor complexity of exercise to get the brain to fire properly. Sometimes though, I'm telling you to play ping pong or tennis um, or pickleball because I need your cerebellum eye connection to improve. I need your cerebellar part of your brain to improve. And so those exercises help me uh, rehab that part of your brain. Sometimes I'm telling you parietal lobe support, right? And so then I might have you um, playing basketball or, you know, something where um, you're, you're quite responsive, maybe volleyball, spatially, more spatially aware of things. Um, what you're hearing me say is there's a place for brain rehab and motor complexity, and then there's um, just mood, just addressing the mood. When you address the mood, I definitely am looking at activity that crosses the brain. So things like core work, um, planks and sit-ups and crunches and supermans and superwomans, things that work um, the lower back, uh, mid-back. Um, multi-limbs are great. Uh, for helping with mood. Um, You're trying to get the brain to fire uh, without overtraining as much as possible to help with the mood. Um, so, So that's what we're looking at with motor complexity. And then I want you paying attention to any adverse reactions that you're having from exercise. So, um, if you feel really exhausted after you work out or you're wiped out and you need to sleep, or there's a lot of burning when you're working out, you've got to back off. Um, yes, there should be lactic acid. Yes. Exercise can be acidic. This is true, but you've got to be really careful with yourself. Um, if you feel like you're foggy, there's just a lot of brain fog after you work out, um, you're hitting your mitochondrial, like you're, you're running out of threshold. You're hitting your energy wall. Um, you're creating more stress than you're addressing. And so there, you know, you've got to be mindful and back off a little bit. And here we thought everyone just needed to exercise more. Um, it's, it's more complicated than it would seem. I've managed to talk for almost 20 minutes about how to exercise, get moving, get moving, go back over this, um, this, this podcast session and, and listen to some of the details, be mindful of BDNF and how important that is. Um, think about what I said about the neural pathways and those connections that we're wanting to make. Um, but when it comes to the three pillars, we have addressed sleep and now we've addressed exercise and I cannot wait to talk to you about blood sugar next. Okay. As always, thank you for your time and your attention is so important to me. I appreciate all the feedback that I've been receiving and until next time, be well.